So yeah, we are wrapping up this series uh, in the Gospel of Luke. We spent the summer uh, studying through it. We've been going uh, chapter by chapter as we've been covering two chapters a week throughout the summer. Uh, and we've made it all the way to the end. Today is the last two chapters of the Gospel of Luke, chapters 23 and 24. Uh, through this time, again, we have uh, again been glancing over some stuff. We had not had enough time to go into every story and every miracle. Uh, and so kind of an overview of the gospel. And as we've seen how all these stories come, they fit together as we look at the life of Jesus. Um, and so if you've missed any of them, you can go back. They're all available online um, on our website. Um, and so you can go back to that. But today we're going to wrap it all up. Um, and, and as we've spent the summer looking at, again, the story of Jesus, and that's what gospel means, is the story of Jesus, okay, is we've seen, again, his interactions. We've seen his miracles. We've seen uh, the even arguments that he started. Again, as we've seen studying the life of Jesus, there's some things that we expect to see about Jesus. And there's other things, again, that, that we've seen this summer that were kind of like, wow, but Jesus really did that? Right? He said that? You know, and again, as we've seen those things, um, I hope that your view of Jesus uh, is, is deeper and, and even potentially stronger than what it was when we started this journey at the beginning of the summer. Now, with that said, I want to challenge us this morning as we wrap up this series, I want to challenge us with this question, okay? And the question is this, how do you view Jesus? Okay, how do you view Jesus? Now, again, we've, we've all heard things about him. Again, he's a historical figure, okay? He's obviously a biblical figure. Um, again, we believe a divine figure, right? The, the, the Messiah that was sent here by God, you know, as his son to die on a cross and, and rise again on the third day. And, and as we, again, we know, how do you view Jesus? Even if you've, you know, never been in church, you've heard the name Jesus Christ. And so how do you view Jesus? Um, now, there's lots of ways we can view him. Like I said, I, I hope that through the series, we've seen Jesus in a different light or, or even in a deeper way, right? But again, for some people, right, Jesus is just um, a crazy lunatic Jewish rabbi that made lots of crazy claims. Okay, for, for others, right, um, Jesus was a good teacher, right, or a good moral person, right? And then for others, like I said, we believe that Jesus was divine, right, and sent here by God to, to save us. Right, again, there's all these different views of Jesus. Now, again, with that said, we hear his reputation, we do that, and, and it's easy to take those views, the view of Jesus, and even within myself, to end up um, defining Jesus by certain miracles or by certain interactions or even by my own expectations. Um, now, se several years ago, I was on a mission trip with a bunch of teenagers, and we were on a mission trip in San Francisco. Now, San Francisco is a very interesting city, and we had, again, a great time there and a mission trip. Well, one of the days we were there, we were in the Chinatown section of, of San Francisco and going through some of the shops, and there I saw, I saw this uh, in one of the shops. Now, this is a... a Deluxe Miracle Jesus action figure. Okay, now I saw this in the shop and I was like, I don't even know why, but I feel like I need to buy this. Okay, so I bought it. Okay, and, and I brought it home with me. And, and now again, this has been in my, this sits in my office, okay, and, and uh, on top of my file cabinet, and I see it literally every day. Okay, now one of the reasons I bought it was because I wanted to be reminded about how I should view Jesus. Okay, because it's easy to, to define Jesus by a miracle or by an expectation, and then I and put Jesus in a box, 
right, and set him on a shelf. And, and then he just sits there, right? And, and anytime I want a little bit of Jesus, I can walk over, I can pull him out of the box, right? I can, you know, reenact some of the miracles or whatever. Literally in here, there's a, there's a bottle, right? And there's, on one side, it's water, and I can flip it over, and it's wine. And, and then literally, too, here, it says Jesus feeds 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. There's literally five loaves and two fish in here. Okay, again, I can define Jesus, right, by a miracle or by whatever it would be, right, and just put him in the box and put him on the shelf and just, just go to it when I want, right, or I can view him differently than that. Okay, one of my, you know, favorite parts of this is that Jesus has glow-in-the-dark hands, okay, in this action figure. Okay, and so, again, he's, he's, he's the deluxe miracle Jesus, right? He has glow-in-the-dark hands. You know what I mean? It represents, right, the power, right, of miracles, that comes out. Again, how do you view Jesus? Okay, because there's a lot of people that view him like this. But, and yet again, the obvious challenge, right, is to say that we don't want to leave Jesus in the box. We don't want to leave him on the shelf. Right, we want to let him out, right, let, let his power unleashed in our lives and in our hearts. Right, and just as we see it and as we study Jesus, um, he is divine. Right, he is powerful. Right, he came you know, to accomplish something that no one else could accomplish, to be the Messiah, to save the world. Okay, and, and as we see that, right, there, again, there's all these different things that he did, and we've studied these miracles. Now, there are, there are only two miracles okay, that are included in all four Gospels in the Bible. Okay, the four Gospels in the Bible is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There are only two miracles, and one of them is feeding the 5,000. Again, it's, it's in our miracle Jesus here. Right? The feeding the 5,000 is, is, is in all four Gospels. The only other miracle that's in all four Gospels is the resurrection. Okay, there's feeding the 5,000 and the resurrection. Okay, now today, again, as we work our way through the Gospel, and, and Luke 23 is the resurrection. Okay, is, is uh, again, the, the reason Jesus came to earth, right, was to die on a cross, right, to, be, to rise again in the third day to save us. Right, to purchase our salvation, to, to stand in our place. Right, we saw last week with the Last Supper and the Passover lamb and, and all the symbolism that was coming to that, and then Jesus does it by dying on a cross and being, was rising again on the third day. And when we get into Luke 23, um, is, it is Easter Sunday. It, it's the resurrection. Okay, and and um, again, as, as we look at that, they, um, again, are we going to keep Jesus and the resurrection in the box? Or are we going to let him out and let his, his power unleashed in our faith journey? So again, how should we view Jesus? Well, it starts with, a state, with this statement, with this fact. Okay? It, it is, we'll determine how we view him, and that is this. The death and resurrection of Jesus is the most important event in history. Okay, the death and resurrection of Jesus is the most important event in history. Now, that is a bold statement. Okay, there's not a lot of wiggle room in that statement, and that's on purpose. Okay, either it is the most important event in history, or it's not. Okay, and whether you believe that to be true will, will affect how you view Jesus. Okay, but if the, de if the death and resurrection of Jesus is the most important event in history... Right, then it is what makes salvation possible. Right, the, the whole Old Testament looks forward to that event. 
The whole New Testament, other than the Gospels, everything that follows the Gospels, looks back at this event. Okay, without the death and resurrection of Jesus, right, nothing else really matters. Because Easter wouldn't exist, right? In fact, Christmas wouldn't even mean anything without the death and resurrection of Jesus. Because otherwise, he's just another Jewish baby. Right? The death and resurrection of Jesus is the most important event in history. And if we believe that statement to be true, then it affects how we view Jesus. Right? Jesus himself makes, makes a very bold statement with, with less wiggle room than even this one. Right? In John 14, 6, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one can come to the Father except through me. Right? When you look at that statement of Jesus, right, which means either he is the chosen Messiah, that takes away the sin of the world, or he is not. Right? There's no wiggle room in that statement. Either he is the way, or he was a raging lunatic that made a lot of claims that he could not back up. Okay, now again, I, I'll tell you, I believe that he is 100% accurate in that statement. Okay, and I believe that the death and resurrection of Jesus is the most important event in history. Right? And as we start with that foundation and that challenge, Okay, to say, now what do we do with Jesus? What do we do with the resurrected Jesus? Okay, now all four Gospels, again, include the arrest, trial, crucifixion, and resurrection of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But they all have very unique endings. Okay, which means that these, all four Gospels deal with the resurrected Jesus a little bit differently. Okay, now um, Matthew... Um, gives, uh, again, he, he, he's resurrected, and then Jesus gives the great commission to the disciples in a very brief passage, and that's the end of the book. Okay, very little interaction with the resurrected Jesus in Matthew. Mark is very similar. In fact, Mark has an even shorter ending. Okay, then we see in the Gospel of John, okay, Jesus appears to the disciples on the Sea of Galilee on the shore, right, when he reinstates Peter after he denies him three times during his trial. Okay, so there's some interaction with Jesus, but it's a small group of people. Okay, and then we have the Gospel of Luke, which leads us to our text this morning. Okay, and, and I want to look at this morning, okay, in Luke chapter 24. Okay, and here the conclusion of Luke in the Gospel is the longest ending of all four Gospels, and it has the most interaction with the resurrected Jesus. So if you have your Bible with you this morning, I invite you to open with me to Luke chapter 24. Okay, and we're going to pick up the story um, at verse 13. Okay, Luke 24, starting at verse 13. Now, just to set where we are at here, um, this, this story takes place on Easter morning. Okay, this here, uh, Jesus, again, is, is buried at the end of 23. 24, he, he is resurrected, and it's the story of, of Mary and the ladies going to the tomb on Easter morning. Okay, and then we pick up in verse 13, where it says, That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, and sadness written across their faces. And then one of them, Cleopas, replied, You must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there the last few days. 
What things, Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who would come to rescue Israel, and this all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of, uh, from the group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing, and they had seen angels who told them that Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to sea, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. Now, I want to pause there for a minute. Okay, and as we examine again this, this story, um, Jesus was in this kind of fly-on-the-wall type of moment with these guys walking on this road to Emmaus. Okay, this is Easter morning, right? Jesus is, Jesus is risen. He's, he's gone, right? And, and again, they, they um, come to him, right, as Jesus kind of starts to ask them some questions. They're like, hey, guys, what are you talking about? What's going on? And, and again, Jesus gets to hear from them firsthand what they believe about Jesus. This is, again, how they view Jesus. Now, in this moment, again, this kind of fly-on-the-wall moment when Jesus gets to hear what they really think, Right? And again, and I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that where you get to hear what people really think about you. That's usually a really good experience or a really depressing experience. Right? And here Jesus hears from these guys, this is what everybody's saying about you. Right? Again, they literally come, they're like, you have to be the only person that doesn't know about this guy. Right? Because some crazy stuff have gone down the last three days in Jerusalem. Okay, and how could you not have heard about this, right? And Jesus kind of just kind of plays dumb and is like, oh, no, I didn't. Tell me about it, right? Who was this guy, right? And they start telling him about, about Jesus and about what they believe about Jesus and how they view Jesus. And, and through this explanation, Jesus finds out that they're struggling to fully believe that he was the Messiah, Right? And because, again, they say that, right? They're like, well, yeah, these ladies, they showed up. I mean, angels told them, and, like, they said he's alive. But then we sent, you know, these other disciples ran out and saw that. You know, we all know that story. We hear it every Easter morning, right? And then these guys are like, but we're really, I don't know, we're not sure. Right? In fact, they, we see this struggle, right, that they have. And realize that they were struggling because their experience didn't match their expectations. Again, they, I mean, they, they very clearly told Jesus, we hoped that this was the Messiah. In fact, that's literally what they say, right, in verse 21. Right? We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. But all of this went down three days ago. Again, their expectations, right, were that Jesus is truly the Messiah, but now they're not really sure. Well, what's the problem? The problem is they're their experience, right, everything that had gone down in the last three days did not match their expectations of who the Messiah was supposed to be or what he was going to do while he was on earth. Okay, because their, again, their expectations, not just these guys, but just in general, most all Jews together had huge expectations regarding the Messiah. Right, they, um, the most common expectation was that this, the coming Messiah would be an earthly king. He would be a person that would rise to political power and take over the land and get rid of the Romans and, and again, be like David, right, and, and be this earthly king that would rule the earth physically. 
That was their expectation. Right? And their experience of everything that had gone down in Jerusalem the, the three days prior, right? And now him being resurrected didn't match their expectation. And now they're questioning, was he really the Messiah? Now, we've all experienced this before, where our expectations doesn't match our experience. Right? We go into every situation with expectations. Right, whether it's showing up to church on Sunday morning, going to our jobs, right, like interacting with our kids, like all these things, you know, even just getting on the freeway to go towards Boise, we have expectations in our head. Right, and when our experience does not match those expectations, right, then we end up with all kinds of emotions that come out of us. Right, for these guys, right, again, they were, they were just wrestling with it, and they're like, we're, we thought this Jesus was Messiah, but we're not really sure. Right? Again, what is your reaction when your experience doesn't match your expectation? Because everybody's a little bit different, and our personalities are different, right? And, and they come out differently. Also, depending on the situation, the more invested in the situation you are, you know, the, the more hard your expectations are. And if that doesn't work, then, then the reaction is stronger. Right? Again, depending on on these, all these factors, right, is we, we react differently when our experience doesn't match our expectation. For some people, they get mad, right? Anger comes out. And again, we've all been behind that person in the checkout line, haven't we? Right, when their expectations and their experience don't match, right, and we just see anger is just right at the top, right? It comes out. Okay, again, for some people, right, is their, their reaction is just to retreat or to cower, Right, and for those people, that's when you hear the phrase, I wish I would have never gotten involved. Right, for, for others, right, um, maybe they become, they, they just, they overwhelm you with the information. Right, again, when, they, when their experience and their expectations don't match, they, these are the people that just spout off all of the info and the facts, right, that coming with the attitude of like, they just don't understand all of the facts. And if, the more that I say them over and over again, it'll change. Okay, now again, it's different for everybody. I will tell you, when my expectations don't match my experience, I get frustrated. Okay, frustration is right at the top for me. Okay, and, and, and that comes out. Now, again, part of my personality, and again, I know that about myself. Okay, and, and again, as a part of Journey Class 3, and I've talked about these Journey Classes, as a part of that class, we take a, a test about that gives our spiritual gifts and our personality profile. Okay, now there's lots of different personality profile things out there. This one uses a very popular one called the DISC personality assessment. Okay, and so it's, it takes it's forward D-I-S-C, and it gives you these, these things about your personality. Now, this, this is my, these are my results, okay? This is my personality, very high D, very high I. Okay, now, um, this is my, and again, if you've been a part of the DISC, this is probably not a surprise to you if you know me. Okay, uh, again, D and I are both extroverted things. They're both uh, personality types. It's, it's, you know, a lot of leaders and in charge people are high D, high I. Okay, uh, so again, that's me. Now, this, this is my public personality. Okay, this is the one that is for, portrayed, again, that, that you guys all see of me all the time. Now, the, one of the things I love about this test is it gives you two different graphs, right? It gives you, this is the first one, the public one that everybody sees. Okay, this is, again, the, the, the facade we put to everybody. Okay, then it gives you a second graph, and the second graph is the real you. It's the one that, that, you, um, that you only show to those most close to you. It's the one that you also default to when you get stressed, okay, or 
um, or get angry or when your expectations don't meet your experience. Okay, this is my private personality graph. Okay, and, and notice again, the difference, right, is that my D and my I are actually higher on that one, but also I have a high C. Okay, now a C is an introverted one. Okay, and the C kind of stands for contemplative parts of my personality. Okay, so again, what does that mean? Well, this, again, I know this about myself. Okay, this means that by the time I go public with a decision or, or an expectation or, or whatever it is, right, is, is that's my public, that's, that's the, the first graph. By the time I do that, I have spent weeks, months, sometimes even years contemplating that decision on my own, within my own heart and my own mind. Okay, and, and so if, as I spent all that time contemplating that and doing that introverted thing, right, by the time it goes public, I, I've, I've been mulling it over for a long time, right? And I feel like I've got it all figured out, okay? And then when it goes public and if my experience doesn't match my expectations the way that I had it all figured out in my C personality profile, right, and it doesn't, then I get frustrated, right? And I get frustrated at myself mostly, right? And, and again, God and I have had all these, these conversations before. I've talked to, told you that, right? And when I go to God, I'm like, God, I've got it all figured out. Why won't you just do it my way? Right, and God's like, well, maybe you, there's some things you didn't think of, right? right? And again, that frustration comes out of me. How do you react, right? It's going gonna, it's gonna to be different based on your personality. Okay, now as we, as we know that and realize that, we see this, again, these expectations versus their experience, and these, they're struggling with how they view Jesus. Was he really the Messiah? Right, and then Jesus deals with their doubt. Okay, and he deals with their doubt in these next verses, verses 25 34. So again, we're going to pick up here, we have the story, Luke 24, verse 25. Okay, where it says that Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all the prophets wrote in the scripture. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? And then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus at the end of their journey, and Jesus acted as if he were going on, but they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. And so he went home with them, and as they sat down to eat, he took the bread and he blessed it, and then he broke it and gave it to them, and suddenly their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. And they said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. And there they found the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them, who said, the Lord is really risen. He appeared to Peter. And again, they end up in Jerusalem. They interact with these disciples again. Again, they, right, they say, hey, the Lord's really risen. He interacts with Peter, right? This is describing the story at the end of the Gospel of John. Okay, now these guys show up, right, with this, and, and they start telling him their experience. Okay, now again, what did Jesus do with them? How did he deal with their doubt? Okay, the first thing that Jesus did was that he identifies that their expectations weren't accurate. Again, he, I mean, Jesus literally calls them fools. Right, he's like, guys, did you, like, look, your expectations aren't right. Like, what, the idea you had about the Messiah, what you think the Messiah was going to do, was not biblically accurate. Right, and they, he identifies that their expectations I didn't match their experience because their expectations were wrong. 
And when we get in that moment, again, sometimes when we realize that our expectations and our experience aren't matching, sometimes it's our expectations that need adjusting. Right? And sometimes our expectations were right on, and it's just the experiences and other people's choices and things skewed the situation. Okay, but that's the most important thing is to ask the question, which one needs to be changed? Right? It, when we're dealing with, when our experience does not match my expectation, we need to identify which one needs adjusting. And that's what Jesus does for these guys. He's like, hey, your expectations were wrong. Right? And then Jesus backs up that fact Right, by, he, by showing them the scriptures right, and how they had misread them, right, which is the next step right, in verse 27. He shows them how scripture should guide your expectation. Again, scripture is our foundation. It is the roadmap for our journey. Scripture is what should give us our expectation, especially about Jesus. Right, and he says, again, he takes them through the scriptures. And shows them, right, hey, this is where your expectations got off. Okay, and then he takes them to that last step in verse 31, okay, where he gives them divine help to see and understand the whole picture. Okay, in this passage, literally, he uses the phrase, right, their eyes were opened. Right, meaning they suddenly saw what they never saw before. Okay, now here, obviously, what they saw was the fact that they were talking to the resurrected Jesus, right? But even beyond that, they also saw the whole picture of God's redemptive plan, right? And how he really was the Messiah. And he accomplished everything the scriptures said he would. Now, notice again their reaction, right, after Jesus literally disappears, Right, when their eyes are opened, and then their reaction in verse 32. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? Again, they recognized that they just had a divine interaction. Right, that their experience, their interaction with God was different than anything else they had ever experienced before. Right, and, and again, when you, if you experience a, a divine time, right, an interaction with God himself, that divine experience is unlike anything else in your life, just like it was for these guys, right, and as they experience that, then they go to Jerusalem, and they start interacting, they come to the disciples, right, they're like, hey, Jesus really resurrected, like, we saw him, we talked with him, all this, and they're like, yeah, we did too, right, like, he appeared to Peter, like, all this, and, and they're, they're in this room, they're kind of, they're trying to sort all of this out, Right? And then in this next section in Luke, Jesus literally shows up. Right? And again, he's listening to all them going, and then he's like, hey guys, what's up? Right? And they're all, they freak out. Right? Now, again, their, their expectations are being adjusted right, to the resurrected Jesus. And then they see this, and now we watch right, as they doubt all over again. Right? And then Jesus, in these following verses, right, in verses 44 through 49, takes the entire group, through this same process, he walked through with these guys on Emmaus. Okay, as he shows them again how their expectations were off, right? He takes them through the scriptures, and then he gives them the divine help they need to see the whole picture. Okay, and then after he takes them through this process one more time, right, then Jesus gives them this, their next steps. What are they supposed to do next in verse 49? Okay, in, in verse 49, he says, And now I will send you the Holy Spirit, just as my Father promised. 
but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with the power from heaven. Again, Jesus tells them, he's like, hey, the next step is you're going to go fulfill everything that I need you to do, right, which is the great commission, right, and the greatest commandments. You're going to live all these things out, but don't do it without divine help. Okay, you need to stay here until the Holy Spirit comes because just like you had this divine help in these moments, right, you will have that same help, that same power in your life every moment after the Holy Spirit comes. So wait here until that happens. Okay, now that happens in Acts chapter 2. Okay, and Acts is actually a continuation of the story from the Gospel of Luke. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke and he wrote Acts. Okay, and Acts is the, is the kind of phase two, right, after the intermission, right, of the ascension, right, where, again, we see the power of God working a whole new way through the Holy Spirit, right, and as all these churches are started and all these kinds of things. Okay, but as we think about that, right, we need to realize that as a follower of Jesus, you are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, just like they were. Okay, you are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit if you are a believer in Christ. Right, when you receive Christ as your Savior, when you invite him into your life, you confess your sins and receive his forgiveness, right, when you become a follower, when you join the journey, right, you receive the Holy Spirit and all of the power that comes with it. Again, how do we get that power? We get that power okay, by remembering the death and resurrection of Jesus is the most important event in history. And because, because it is the most important event in history, why I remember that and I receive that gift of salvation from him and I receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And as scripture says, as Jesus tells us, then the Holy Spirit indwells in the heart of every believer. Right, so how do we get that power? We remember the death and resurrection of Jesus. Right, and we remember that every day that we journey with him. Again, in Jesus, right, once again, we celebrate communion, right? Jesus told us, remember this. It's that important. Okay, and then once we have the power, right, what do we do with it? Okay, what do we do with that power? Again, Jesus told us what to do with it. Okay, for number one is make sure that this is true in your own faith journey. Right, remember Christ, death, and resurrection every day as a part of your journey. Right, remember that, right? Make sure that's a part of it, that this power of the Holy Spirit is working in your own heart, in your own life as you journey in your faith every day. Okay, and then secondly, right, is we're supposed to share that truth with others that need to hear it. And again, if Jesus' death and resurrection is the most event, important event in history, then guess who needs to hear it? Everybody needs to hear it. Right, so then we share that. Right, again, Jesus gave us that commandment in the, in the greatest commandments in Matthew 22. Okay, where again, he tells us, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. It's the first and greatest commandment, and the second is equally important, love your neighbors yourself. Okay, we love God, we remember his death and resurrection, and how important it is in our life every day. Right, we love him with everything we have. Okay, and then we love our neighbors by sharing with them the info that they need about Jesus. Right, and we do those things. Right, and we live that out. Again, the power... That, that Jesus had, right, this divine help is available to every believer as the Holy Spirit dwells in our heart. And what are you doing with that power? Right? Are you growing in your own faith? and Are you sharing it? Right? Are, you, are you seeing miracles in your life? 
right, is the interaction with Jesus what we've studied this summer, right? Because as a follower of Jesus, you have that same power. Right? And it, again, it manifests itself in different ways in each of our lives, right? And in our different journeys and, and different experiences and all those kinds of things, right? But we have that power. Why which sins brings me to my final thought this morning. The life of Jesus has the power to change the entire world, but it starts with your heart and with your journey. So will you let Jesus out of the box? Will you let him out of the box? Because he doesn't belong in a box, right? He belongs in this world doing miracles and changing lives, right? Will you let him do that in, in your life and your journey, right? And will you share it with everybody else? I hope you will. God, that is our prayer this morning. God, we pour out our praise to you. Because, God, it is your breath, your Holy Spirit, God, that is in us as followers of Jesus. And, God, we praise you for that today. And, God, I pray, Lord, that you would continue to mold our hearts, Lord, and open our eyes, Lord, to who you are, God, to the work that you're doing, and, Lord, that our expectation, Lord, for life would be seen through you. And, God, as we go this week, Lord, I pray that we, Lord, would pour out our praise to you every day, Lord, as we journey towards you. Lord, that we'll be closer to you tomorrow than we are today. And God, I pray that, Lord, as we journey towards you every day, God, that your love and your light would shine through our lives. God, to all those around us that so desperately need you. God, give us the courage again to share your love. God, with, with everybody that needs to hear about it. God, we love you today. We praise you, God, for dying and rising again for saving us. God, for being our way to be saved. We thank you for that. Lord, help us to live it in every moment this week as we go. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.